Hello and welcome back to the Formula Rezone podcast. I'm Jack George Maynor. We're here for episode number eight. And what we'll be doing today is we'll be answering some key questions that came from the Monaco Grand Prix. We'll be looking at the question, should Formula E maybe have used the full Monaco Grand Prix layout? Is the cars ready for it? Some of the drivers think they are. Some drivers maybe don't think it's ready for it. So we'll be asking that question. And looking at the qualifying system, are the best drivers starting to finally come to the top as we reach the conclusion of the championship and then the last thing we are going to talk about today is the energy management looking into season six season seven could formulary have longer races is the energy management in formulary far too easy now i'm just not going to sit here and talk to you all by myself all night that would be incredibly boring so joining me from the lovely website that is eformld is the one and only the master of Formula E. He's just brilliant. <laughs> He's been on this podcast since episode number one, but he deserves this introduction anyway. It is Tobias Blue. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jack. What an introduction. Oh, I so look, well tonight thinking about just how you introduced me to the audience today. Uh, well, the thing is, like, for some of the audience now, like, it's it's pretty clear that this podcast is me. There's no Dan. We haven't even mentioned Dan. Okay, so Dan isn't here again. So obviously, Dan, uni student, um, he's doing his he's doing his exams. So poor boy, he's you know he's stressed. You know, he's up all night. He's drinking that Red Bull Monster Energy, whatever energy drink you can possibly drink. He's drinking it. Um, as he's studying for his exams. I think it's his last week, so he should be back for Berlin. Um, so, obviously, good luck, Dan. I know you'll be listening. We're all rooting for you. But, good you know, luck, I think Dan. everyone... Yeah, I think everyone in this audience now who we've got knows it's, you know, it's us three. We've had had some special guests, um, and we're obviously very grateful for those special guests that come on. But it's us three, but I still think it's worth the introduction. Can I just say, or can I just correct you that you, when you started out, said that we were talking about the Monaco Grand Prix. We're not actually. Well, we're talking well, about we're the E-Prix, Jack. Yeah, that's true. But I said the Monaco Grand Prix layout. I might have made that mistake, but you know, it's been <sighs> a while since I've actually introduced um, a podcast. But you know, hey ho, we we make mistakes. But yeah, Monaco E-Prix, of course. <laughs> but um, if I said Monaco Grand Prix, you know, too many too many races going on in in my head at the moment. But anyway, Monaco. E pre. So obviously, what we'll do is we'll just, we'll start with qualifying because qualifying obviously was um, was interesting. Qualifying is obviously crucial in Monaco with it limiting overtaking opportunities. But drivers obviously complain about the Group One system. But with Monaco being such a, a nice street circuit, you know, it's it's smooth compared to any other track that we go to, maybe apart from the little section where we cut down the hill of Sandovot, that seems to be a bit more bumpy. And the, But there was a real, I was there, and there was a real high grip surface going into Chicane, which when I was walking on it on the way back, um, from the way home to the train station, I walked on that section of track, and I thought, could you saw it on the track, and I was like, that might be like really slippery, and you know, it could cause some problems. But it was actually a real high grip surface. So yeah, well, to it. Yeah. yeah, it was complete opposite. So, Tobias, you tell me, how did you see qualifying for you? Oh, qualifying always is crucial, especially in Formula E and especially in Monaco. Going into the weekend, we all thought, well, we're not going to see any, well, maybe a few of it takes, but not many, certainly. So, the importance of qualifying was huge, we thought, in Monaco. In the end, we saw a couple of overtakes in the race, but going into qualifying, we were all assuming 
being an unpole, being on pole position is key here. And uh, the driver who ended up on pole position was Oliver Rowland for I have no idea the fourth time this season, the third time this season yes. he ended up in Super Pole, and uh, the Nissans just, just just seemed to be super duper quick in qualifying, but. He had a penalty still hanging over him, looming over him, uh, coming out of Paris for causing a collision, if I'm not completely mistaken. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Which meant that he had to take a three-place grid drop. And that ended up in him demoting him, in him being demoted from P1 to P3 with Jean-Éric Verne taking pole position. And we thought, okay, so it's settled now. Jeff is going to win... And the top 10 will, <laughs> yeah. will hardly change in the race because qualifying is just so important in Monaco, we thought. 100%. Like, when you look at the, the small layout, and obviously getting onto that uh, sort of discussion of whether or not Formbury could have used the full Grand Prix, the full layout of Monaco, because um, when you look at that small track, you think, where on earth is there an overtaking point? Apart from maybe Turn 1, but even Turn one's tricky. Like, it isn't an easy over overtake. It's not even easy in Formula 1 into Santa Fe, even though it was modified. But it was still a really difficult thing. So when, yeah, you're totally right. When I saw Verne was on par, I thought, yep, so <laughs> he's won the race. You know, whoever's second probably will finish second and, and so on. Like, it, it, that's how crucial qualifying is. But obviously, Formula E, it does what it does. And it does what it does best sometimes. And it threw up a crazy race. But as you mentioned there, so we had... We had Oliver Rowland on pole, where he got that three-place grid panel, which dropped into fourth, which then put Jean-Eric Verne up into first, with Mitch Evans into second, but Tobias Bloom, Mitch Evans, something happened. So, can you explain? He also had a penalty, and he wasn't the only one. He was penalised in free practice two, if I'm not wrong, and um, received a warning from the race director. And thing is, in Formula E, as well as F1 or any other major FIA single-seater series, you have three... you, you can get three yellow cards, basically, and... Three strikes and you're out! That's right. So Use a baseball reference. <laughs> <laughs> For the American audience, yeah. I'm not the biggest yes. baseball fan, I have no idea about the rules. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I uh, yeah. Uh, so Mitch Evans received penalty, uh, or his third warning of the year, which resulted in a penalty for going too quick under full course yellow. We have this obligatory full course yellow practice in FP1 where the race director calls a full course yellow, so every car has to slow down to 50 kilometers an hour. It's just to practice with the marshals on site and with the, for the teams to check whether their speed limiters are set correctly and all of that. And apparently Jaguar's speed limiter wasn't set correctly because Mitch Evans was going 2.3 kilometers an hour above the speed limit. It was his second warning of, of uh, the season. Um, yeah, th th that's the point. It was his second uh, warning of the season. And then he received a third warning of his season, which was his third strike, uh, because in Super Bowl he activated his 250 kilowatts mode too early. Yeah, too early. And only yeah. by about three seconds or less even. And that meant he had his three warnings 
and uh, resulted in a 10 place grid drop demoting him from 2nd to 12th with no real chances of moving up much in the race. Yeah, with no real chance of moving up the order. That's right, um, yeah. So that, uh, that, well, that penalty then promoted Pascal Verlein up into second, and uh, Felipe Massa, I believe, was in third. Correct Felipe Massa was in third position, yes. No, Roland was in third position. Massa oh, fourth. yes, because of the yeah. penalties, and Massa went up into fourth. Yes, you yeah. are correct. Yes, you are correct. Um, I thought Roland still started fourth despite the penalty, but no, you are right. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, but let's talk about Felipe Massa because he oh, yeah. has come on trumps lately. It's considering that, you know, he had that difficult start of the season, and after four or five races, people were questioning whether or not Felipe Massa was, you know, good enough for Formula E. Or does was, he still have you it? Know, <laughs> does he still have it? Yeah. Yeah. And he's starting to prove himself. You know, he's had a couple of Super Bowl appearances now. He's starting to fight at, at, at the front end. And I think we can put that that sort of question to bed that Felipe Massa... You know, I, this is such a difficult series. And it, it, it astonishes my mind sometimes when you see other journalists writing stories about, you know, opinion pieces about if Felipe Massa still has it. You know, when he's only done four races and you've got drivers in this field who have done you know all 50 all 50 whatever it is now that we've done and you've got a driver in his fourth race and you're questioning whether or not he's good enough for the series and you're just like you know give the guy a break like it's not an easy series to get to grips with it's a completely different way of driving it's a completely different ethos of going racing it's not the same as going to race in Formula 1 cars like he's done all his career it's a completely different ethos and he's had to get used to that and I think you know his practice and you know his quality of driver is now starting to show because he's he's getting used to it and he's you know he's in a car that's a Venturi at the end of the day which you know is that the quickest car on the track probably not no compared to when you have a look at Oliver Rowland who's in the Nissan but we know that Nissan is a quite quick car and if Nissan were to get it right and probably should have got it right they should have had a race win this season you know I know Venturi have had a race win by default in effect in Hong Kong but Venturi aren't up there consistently whereas Nissan now are up there consistently so I think what Massa's doing has been brilliant Absolutely, and you have to bear in mind that Venturi started out the year with a lot of technical difficulties. They had their drive shaft issues from one race to the next. Now, since Rome, they've moved on to another partner and a new supplier for their drive shafts. And ever since that move was made, that switch was made, Venturi is on their game all of a sudden. They are not a top team, not by any means. But with a good qualifying result, Venturi has the chance of scoring podium results. And it's just a quick spoiler, they ended up on the podium in Monaco for the third time this year. Montara was on it twice, now Massa for the first time this season. And apart from the obvious technical difficulties in the first two thirds of the year, Massa, of course, also had to adapt, adapt to these really difficult former E cars. They are just a completely different beast to drive compared to Formula 1 cars. And that just takes time to learn the car and, yeah, adapting to it and to the nature of street racing, of course, of always racing on street circuits. 
and then these these twitchy cars with a lot of torque that takes time getting used to unless you're Pascal Verlaine of course but <laughs> yeah. Massa had, had to learn how to drive a Formula E car first then add in the it's technical easy. difficulties and now he's picking up pace again and that's really really good to see and to all the doubters of course he's found the right answer now he still has it and Felipe Massa still is a fantastic outstanding driver and um, he's starting to prove that this season he's been a bit behind his teammate of course who has one more year of experience in FE but Massa is showing that he has the performance without a question yeah it's, it's interesting that you say with like Pascal Verlang it's interesting how drivers can just jump in but everyone's different that's the thing everyone's different and everyone has maybe more you know you could say Verlang might therefore have more natural talent than Felipe Massa but when Felipe Massa gets going they're pretty level if that makes sense because you know Pascal was able to just jump in and go but I suppose Pascal's been jumping in and out of DTM cars Formula E Formula 1 like he's Massa's been in one series for ages whereas Pascal's hmm. been in a few so he's gotten used to driving maybe different cars so maybe that actually helped him to like be quick because he's got you know a bit more uh, familiarity but like talking to Pascal and himself he just he looks like and he just talks as if he's a guy that it doesn't matter what you put in him he will go hell for leather straight away and will be quick in whatever you put him whereas when you're like if you're in one series like Massa was for so long then it can make se- it, it makes sense that you might have to rethink a, a way how you go racing but it's interesting that you brought it up. Um, the only other thing I wanted to point out for qualifying before we start looking at the race and start answering some of these questions was, despite Group 1, obviously we weren't expecting it to be much of a factor. It did actually turn out to be a little bit of a factor because we had Andre Lodera in Group 1, oh, who was yeah. the slowest of um, the Group 1 qualifiers. And we had obviously we still had Jerome D'Ambrosio and we had uh, Robin Frines, who was the championship leader. Um, and none of them they were all bottom half mainly group one they were all below the top ten and Andre Lotto was you know the worst one being down in a 20th position so you know, even on a track that we weren't really expecting group one to have a major impact it still did yeah but I'm sure he, Andre must have had a mistake on his lap we didn't see the entire lap on, on, on Teddy sadly but he was so far off the pace in the end he set a lap time of 51 naught and the pole position time uh, in the end by Jean-Éric Verne was a whole second quicker and their teammates I'm not sure if the disadvantage of group one makes up for one full second he was even two tenths of a second slower than Tom Dillman the next slowest car on, on the grid after all um, he must have made some sort of mistake on his lap I'm sure yeah um, that's obviously said, to correct myself yeah. I just realized Vern was also obviously was in group one but and made it in and obviously ended up on pole position after yeah. into, and went made it into super pole but the majority you had your friends you D'Ambrosio your, your Lotterer um, you know, they're all mainly bottom half. They're not, you know, DaCosta was not too bad actually. Um, it was lower end, top 10. But, you know, it's not where these drivers want to be on the grid, especially going into a race in Monaco where it's impossible to, well, nearly impossible to overtake. Another really interesting story raised by many drivers after qualifying was the warming of their tyres. 
Formula E doesn't have any tyre blankets as Formula 1 does so drivers have to drive out of the pits with cool tyres and not not even cool tyres, cold tyres icy cool cold tyres and then warm them on one lap and given the nature of the Monaco circuit it's it's been the shortest track on the entire calendar this year drivers really 1.7 kilometers warming. 1.7 kilometers that's not much uh, no. and drivers really struggled with warming their tires before their qualifying runs especially in super Bowl. in in group qualifying you have practically two laps to warm warm the tires up get the brakes up to temperature but especially in super Bowl, you have one out lap then you do your hot lap and all the temperatures have to be up at operate in the operating windows by the time they start their, their fast laps. So drivers in Super Bowls really struggled with that and qualifying as well. And with the sun shining in Monaco, the track got warmer and warmer from one group to the next. Then you can take into account a couple of trees over the circuit and yeah. um, high-rise buildings maybe that brought shade onto some parts of the circuit, turn one like the start, one. The yeah. yeah, the start finish trade is always really, even with Formula One and other, you know, when they're there, it's always in shade. You, you're not going to get much sun in that area. That's right, and that just makes the asphalt cooler than the other parts of the track. So playing with the temperatures really was a key issue in, in qualifying for many drivers. I'm not sure if that's the only reason Andre Lotterer finished dead last in qualifying, but... Um, yeah, that's just an interesting point raised by many drivers after after qualifying. So let's let's try and let's before we start the race, let's 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 answer one of the first questions that we were we were going to talk about um, during the race. Going into the race, going into qualifying, obviously the problems about that would it have been nice? Because obviously this 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 question was asked not it's not a new question. This question was asked in season three. I remember asking this question in Monaco in season three for season five. Should we be racing on the full layout? Was it time? Because it seemed like the FIA didn't want to compare Formula One lap times with Formula E. But the drivers were saying, so this is what the drivers were saying over the weekend, was that we, Formula E knows it's slower. It wants to be a completely different race series to Formula One. So, you know, what's why should we be worried about comparing ourselves to Formula One? I know it would happen. Like, don't get me wrong, as soon as we do one lap around that full Monaco track within a, 10 minutes on social media or on Twitter, there will be a side-by-side -side comparison. And, like, it will happen. People yeah. will compare it. But I don't feel like Formula E should be worried about being compared to Formula One. That's right. People always compare F1 to other race series because Formula 1 is the quickest single-seater series on the planet right now. Um, people compare F1 to F2 in Monaco and to the Porsche Super Cup. And people will compare Formula 1 lap times to Formula E lap times. Um, as you rightly pointed out, it's been the FIA who took the decision in the end and uh, not Formula E itself and the drivers were all in favour. I don't think there was a single driver who wouldn't have wanted to race the whole Grand Prix layout. Um, 
yeah, so all the drivers were in favor of doing the Grand Prix circuit. The fans would have been in favor of it. I think the operational side of Formula E would have been in favor of it as well. We would have been certainly been in favor of using the entire layout. Yeah, we might see it with uh, with uh, the next race happening in two years' time. Obviously, Formula E switches the their slot before the F1 race with the historic Grand Prix of Monaco. There, it's their turn next year. They are using the full layout as well. So yeah, I think Formula should have opted for the Grand Prix layout. We can't change it now, can we? But um, yeah. I'm not sure it was right to be afraid, or I'm not sure there were any good, like properly good reasons to be afraid of going to the Grand Prix circuit. Yeah, I'm just thinking for myself, like, I think, you know, we would have, obviously, we wouldn't have had, because I was going to the track and thinking, all right, what's qualifying going to be? And I've had, I've said this on the podcast before, you know, I was looking, could we get close to 45 seconds? You know, we got fairly close, we got 49, I was a couple of seconds off, like, me, you know, but, you know, if we go into season seven using that small layout, we will be hitting 45 seconds comfortably. Mm-mm, um, I don't think so. I, well, it well, doesn't, does, doesn't have much. second or one and a half the, seconds. May, maybe. Well, what was it? So the fastest we saw was something 49. So you'd be pretty close. You'd be a second off 45 seconds or, you know, three quarters of a minute. You'd be very close to it. So I was thinking, and that's what I was thinking. Obviously, it was a bit off by a couple of seconds. But I have this gripe about having Formula E tracks that are less than a minute long and going to tracks. It feels very hmm. go-karty. It yeah, feels like right. it should be a go kart yeah. track rather than a rather than a, a racing series um, in itself. Like a, a proper championship shouldn't be going on a track that's only fifty seconds or forty eight seconds long. Like for me, you know, Oliver Rowland. I remember when I was speaking to him, it's like they said they reckon that it'll be similar to if we went on the full layout. It'd be similar to a lap time in Rome, like a minute and a half to a minute thirty five. You know, maybe a minute forty. You know, at worst. He said, it's not going to be horrific. We're not going to be two minutes around the Monaco GPL. That will be about, you know, about 20 seconds off a Formula One that time. Sure. And and for me, it was like, well, that's fine. You know, we're still, obviously, Formula One is in its infancy. And obviously, Formula One at one point in its time would have been fairly uh, one minute 30, probably around Monaco. And they wouldn't have had the extra chicanes probably at that point back in the 1950s. Hmm. And considering that's where Formula E is today, where Formula One was obviously back then, but I just felt like it was really, I think Formula. I know that you wanna you wanna have that comparison. You don't want that comparison because I, f- I can see the FIA's point of view. They don't want that comparison because they don't want to look like off. Oh, you know, Formula E is rising so quickly, and they don't want them to look like oh, but they're rising so quickly. But then that that rise gets dropped because they see how much slower they are compared to Formula 1. So it's like protecting the fan base, like putting the fan base in a bubble. To say, look, we're still pretty quick, you know, 50 seconds around Monaco, even though it's a bit shorter, but, you know, if you (laughs) add the little bit layout, you never know, it might be about 1 minute 25, who knows? You know, we'll never know because we're not going to do it um, to avoid the comparison so you can make it up for yourselves. But, um, yeah, I just feel like FIA, just please, just let the series do what's good for the series I don't feel like Monaco is great for the series it's a track and I feel like going into you know there's a lot of corners that you could overtake at the chicane could be a massive overtaking point the Nouvelle chicane could be huge 
with energy management concerns because if you're if you're in a position like Vern was and other drivers were towards the end of the race you know you'll be able to sail if you've got good energy you'll be able to sail up the inside into the Nouvelle Chicane yeah. and it'll become a fantastic overtaking point so for me I felt like in, you've got Mirabeau Mirabeau could become an overtaking point especially if you're saving energy I don't think anyone will risk it into Lowe's hairpin but um, yeah Mirabeau I don't think you go into Massonet either I think Massonet would be pretty that'd be pretty brave but um, we saw an overtaking to the back by Robin Frines in the race like maybe even to back could become because if a driver has to lift off because there isn't in the second sector it's pretty pretty straight until you break for the new Velgicane so that's a pretty you know you've got to save energy in that sector yeah and that I feel like if we had that then to back the new Velgicane could have become like really decent overtaking points and could have actually we could have actually had a racing series that showed you can overtake at Monaco yes you need these factors of saving energy and lifting and coasting but that's what Formula E is about to conserve energy and find the best cars to improve you know battery efficiency in the future and what a way to show it and what a way to show imagine if and I think this is what teams want like Audi Jaguar if they yeah, have they, a Jaguar, they, they for example, they're the best in, in powertrain. Exactly. So design. they can show in Monaco that their cars can overtake anyone at Monaco's because they've got the best battery efficiency. Then everyone's like, "Oh, look at Jaguar! They're making ways." If it's Jaguar, for example, obviously other manufacturers could do it. But just pointing out Jaguar because it's the first one that came into my head. Hmm. But um, you know, if it was Jaguar, then people would be like, "Wow, Jaguar are making real good um, movements in terms of their." battery efficiency like teams will be wondering oh what are they doing because obviously what they're doing is good and all of that technology can then be harnessed and then put into road cars and then all of a sudden from going from 250 mile range we can up that to 400 or 450 and you know that makes electric cars more appealing because you have that higher range if it was a 450 mile car now my car can only do 400 and it's a petrol engine yes it's a like a small little one liter engine but at the same time, like that's that would have a more efficiency level technically than my car. So then, you know, the the appeal to switch to an electric car becomes greater. So, I feel like yeah, don't worry about the comparison because you never know. The full layout could be fantastic for the series. The only factor that makes me think twice about using the full Grand Prix layout is how wide the circuit is compared to other FE circuits. Even the short. FE version was luxurious compared to other circuits we've seen this year. Remember, think about Hong Kong, for example. It's really narrow, or Beijing. Think about Beijing in the first two seasons, yeah. if, if you've seen them. That was so cool. narrow. That was really, really narrow. And yeah, it was narrow in places, but it, I, felt, I felt it was a bit wide in places as well. But it was yeah, definitely narrow, true. I do remember. Beijing like was the last weird, section where Prost, and Hype, where Prost and Hype felt crash, you could definitely get free wide. Yeah, in that, in that easy. Room. But there were some sections where, yeah, you, couldn't, you wouldn't want to put two. Like Hong Kong, for example. Yeah. Now, Hong Kong's pretty narrow. Hong, Hong Kong is incredibly narrow. narrow. Yeah, that's right. But compare that to Monaco, and Monaco is just a luxury for all the drivers because you can, even on the short layout, the only narrow part of Monaco was the run between turns one and three. So, yeah, and then the harbour happened. Yeah, because I remember walking it, and you can see how narrow, and this is where the crash was in season one, if you remember. And if, if you Senna lifting off, yeah. Yeah, but you can see why there was that crash there because it. 
it becomes so narrow, it like squeezing in, it's like a bottle. Imagine it like a like a bottle, like a beer bottle. Probably a really bad analogy. But <laughs> that corner is like that's that that bit where that crash happened, the beginning bit where we saw that that argy bargy where they all have to squeeze in afterwards they turn around. That's like the top bit of the bottle of of your can of your bottle where you drink the beer. And then it sort of widens up with where the actual beer goes down towards so it does widen as you go towards the harbour section so it gets it starts narrow but then as we saw you can actually in the race you can actually go two or three abreast because it does widen up from that little narrow section you couldn't go three abreast at the beginning but by the end you can that's right yeah and we'll i'm sure there are narrow parts on the grand prix layout as well and wider parts on the full grand prix layout but yeah, I think what I'm saying is use the full Grand Prix layout for the next time. It's time Fulbury has grown up now. Not grown up, they are still growing. But it's growing. Now. They are, but they're not toddlers anymore. Yeah. And that's the impression we're I five get year, from we're five years old using. Now. Yeah, that's the impression well, I get we, from we, Fulbury using their Season 1 layout. As if yeah. the cars and drivers and the entire championship still was in toddler mode and yeah couldn't it's like yeah, yeah it's true it's like we're you know it was like uh, your and parents you know you yeah. want to say something you want to do this you you think you're a big boy now you want to go and play you want to go and jump over that fence but then all of a sudden parents come and say no yeah here's your it's dummy not, it's <laughs> not like it's not like the fa is dictating what to do but I mean, in part they they did in, in, in with the Monaco layout. But what I'm saying is, Formery isn't a toddler. Formery can walk on their own. Formery does know where to go and has a good idea of the direction they're taking. And in my opinion, maybe you have a different opinion, you 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 listeners right now. Uh, but in my opinion, um, yeah, Formery is has grown enough to use the Grand Prix layout by now. Right, yeah. So, I think I think we covered that pretty well. So, I think we're, what, about half hour in? I think it's, I think it's time, Tobias, that we talk about what? The what people Half an people hour hear. already? I know, I know, it's, it's fine. Oh, well, close Jesus enough to half an hour, Christ. you know. So much to talk about. So many <laughs> interesting things came out of this weekend. But And we've only touched qualifying and, you know, should we have used the full track? But... Let's let's start with the race. So <laughs> we obviously we had we had Vern, we had Verline, we had Roland, Massa, Bowemi, that was your top five. And it was it was actually considering of what a little bottleneck. I don't know if that's what it's actually called, a bottleneck. That's probably what I could have said. Um I yeah. don't know if that's even the actual yeah. term for the, my bottle analogy. You know, just you know, imagine in your head. Sometimes I'm a bit slow. You know, if you've watched every episode of this podcast, you probably might realise I'm a bit slow. But um at the same time, it was a it was a fairly despite that tight section. You know, we've seen crashes and people hitting each other there at the start, but it was actually a really nice, clean getaway. It was a really clean lap, yeah. After we've seen carnage in the first couple of races this season, I expected a repeat of of the Senna incident from season one. To be honest, but we haven't really seen that. It we've would have been seen, spectacular. It would have been really another red flag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That, Thankfully it didn't that was on absolutely on my list. Seeing a red flag after a pile up in turn one and two, but that did. You had happen. the tweet ready, didn't you? I, I had it ready, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but that didn't happen for some reason. 
and we had a decently clean start. Of course, drivers always come together in, in the first couple of turns with people going three wide to the third corner. And it was, of course, scruffy, but that's just down to the nature of these Gen 2 chassis. And it is okay to have contact, unlike Formula 1, for example. I hate banging on about Formula 1 in an FE podcast, but you can you can have contact with other cars in Formula E this year. And that's what we've seen in the first lap. But apart from well, nothing out of the ordinary, right? All the usual stuff happened on lap one without any major incidents. Which was good. So then we did finally, it wasn't long though until we had our first incident. And I don't think, it was very similar to Paris. Where it, in Paris it was Oliver Rowland who locked up going into the tight uh, in turn 10 and but this time it was from the lead of the race but this time it was Pascal Verline. now we were praising Verline at the beginning of the podcast of how what a natural talent he is and he could drive everything <laughs> quick but you know and put his, he put his hand up I spoke to him after the race and he locked up going into Sandovot went wide and fell to fourth and you know just an uncharacteristic error from Pascal I think the first time it's happened all weekend to him and running in second in Monaco with a chance of victory that Mahindra Khan is really, really quick this year. With a chance of victory, bowling it in turn one, that hurts. That really has to hurt. And especially him knowing that it was his own mistake, that the car didn't play any role. Potentially, yeah. the Nissan played a role in... Roland locking up in, in Paris. We're not sure about that yeah. still, but Verline is sure of it that it was his own mistake and the car and the brake-by-wire system which we're using this season had nothing to do with it. It was all on his own, his own driving, and, well, that mistake happened. It, it happens, but it's, as he called it, a stupid mistake. Not necessary. Yeah, I mean, he can change it now. We can't change it now. But that essentially cost him any chance of a podium. Well, not because not it was a shame because he was podium, he was but... he was so quick. Like you yeah. saw him behind because yeah, yeah. that let that let Roland through and it let Massa through into into the top three, and you know that top three didn't really change throughout the whole race. But that was like that was one of the main points of the race. And you feel like if Verline was still second, you feel like he would have definitely have had the pace because obviously once the once the situation happened, Vern built up a bit of a gap. He had about a second and a half advantage at that point after Verlein's mistake. Because obviously, um, Roland and Matter have to get round without, you know, Verlein's trying to desperately get back on the track and they don't want to obviously touch. Um, but you definitely feel like if Verlein was behind, um, he would have he would have um, challenged for that race. He would have you know he would have put Vern under I think more pressure than maybe what Roland did um, during the race. Well, that's difficult to say. I would have loved to see how it played out in a parallel universe where this, this mistake didn't happen. Yeah. Verline, I'm sure he had pace in his car, but he didn't. He get looked around. like he had pace. He got the Absolutely. fastest lap, so he had, he had, he had, he had pace. Absolutely, yeah. But he was a bit stuck behind Felipe uh, Massa. And yeah, no way through. Without Felipe, I would have loved to see how quick he could have gone. Without the traffic, he might have been able to challenge Van. I'm not saying he would have been able, but he might just have been able to challenge Van. Yeah. 
just just to spoil it because we'll just skip on because there's no point actually saying it later because obviously people who are watching this probably already know the race result um so pascal finished fourth like <laughs> um and massa finished third um and he did have the pace but what was actually really interesting was massa's ran out of energy so we'll get on to the energy management thing in a second but what i thought was really interesting because we saw in in mexico where verlein nearly won the race with lucas degrassi was when verlein ran out of energy and um uh degrassi obviously squeezed through and won the race um massa ran out of energy 150 meters before the line and verlein was right behind and i'm thinking if he's ran out of energy and was coasting towards it. how on earth did verlein not finish third I have no 150 idea. meters is like I'm pretty sure Verline ran out of energy less than 150 meters <laughs> from the finish line, and Lucas Degrassi got past. That was more like and, 40, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I was just thinking, are you serious, Felipe? You're telling me it was 150 meters you ran out and you coasted to the line, and you, I was just thinking, Verline had the energy, Verline had the pace. Like it's almost, I was just, I was staggered in a way that after when it came away from after what Master said, I was like. How did Verlein not finish third? Yeah, I don't know. In the end, it, it was really close. I, if I'm, I mean, I'm really bad at maths and numbers in general. But <laughs> if I've not miscalculated, the distance between the two was five point seven meters, and that's not yeah. much. So it was close. But looking at the TV images. Verlein seemed to be a lot closer than in reality he might have been. He tried to attack yeah. Massa into the penultimate corner, into Raskas. He tried to move there. They touched, then Anthony No. Yeah, they touched again. It was really close. And it seemed as if Verlein was practically in the gearbox of, of the Venturi car. But then, with Massa saying 150 meters before the finish line, he ran out of energy. That seems like a long way before the line. And it yeah. seems as if Verlein should have moved past him. Yeah. It just, it, yeah, it's interesting. It's just interesting. I'm not saying Verlein, you know, what you're doing, you know, how did you <laughs> not finish third? How did you not pass him? I'm not putting any blame on him because it's it's different in reality. But when you just when you just try and think about it, and you're just like, hang on a second, I'm like, how didn't like the massa must have really <laughs> coasted pretty quickly, you know, the fastest coasting you could have done <laughs> um, to cross that line. Um, and here's a tiny bit downhill, but it's not massively downhill that section of race track. So I don't even think the downhill sort of slope before it goes back uphill towards Sandovot would have helped him too much. But uh, who knows? So what? To be fair, the race was fairly straightforward. Once obviously once Verlaine had um, had locked up, but then the energy management sort of really began to take effect sort of halfway through uh, halfway through the race, and it was. We we found our own little Daniel Ricardo in our in this championship, and it came it came in the form of Sam Bird. Who now you have to remember the the Virgin team had a really poor qualifying. They've they've really struggled being in Group One uh, lately. I think Sam was P. He, obviously, I'm trying to think. I remember where he qualified. I'm now trying to do the maths of where um, he started. So he, he qualified 15th, and I don't think I think Gunther was the only person. So he started 14th. Um, did Sam because Gunther was did, was yeah. 14 and he had he had a penalty, so Sam started 14. But in that middle of the race, Sam was on fire, 
literally just overtaken around the outside around Lucas Degrassi uh, to like move up into the points. He managed to get past Robin Franz as well. I, f- I don't know. I don't think the team orchestrated. They could have done, but um, not to my understanding that the team orchestrated that move. And um, and then used turn one and passed Lynn, you know, Van Dorn. He was flying up the order. And these moves into turn one were mad. I've never... Like, have we seen... A Daniel turn- Ricciardo would be proud. Yeah, like- <laughs> he would have been so proud. Have we ever seen, like, proper moves into turn one in the first two years we've been to Monaco? No, because not I can really. Remember, not to that extent. Yeah, I can only remember people going for it in turn three, obviously. That's been the main overtaken spot over the last few years. And the Virgin cars just were on fire. Bird as well as Freins moving past cars in turn one, which is incredible. It's absolutely mind-boggling how, how you pull off a move in turn one. They managed it sort of... I mean, Bird managed it all the time. Freins didn't really manage it all the time. He showed a good, good overtakes as well in the race, and then ended up smashing into the side and into the rear and to the wall of, not into the wall of Alexander Sims, but into the car of Alexander Sims and the wall of, of Monaco. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he ended his race there after crashing in turn one with Sims, but Bert really clean moves all race long. And afterwards, he said that probably was one of the best races of my life, and I would have to agree. Buenos Aires, twenty fifteen, still is, good. in my opinion, he's that is good. F-E that race defense ever. of that was a mad was race. Unbelievable. He was unbelievable that day. So oh. I, I'd say Argentina, twenty fifteen, was his best FE race, but Monaco, twenty nineteen, certainly is in the top. The second best, or if not matching yeah, that. Yeah. So that really was a top drive by Sam. Because I, I showed some of his yeah. overtakes to some people that I work with, hmm. and they were like, this, "It's millimeters from disaster." That's how close he was to that wall. It was, yeah. There was no room. There was there was literally the car width of Sam Bird, the wall, and the other car. Yeah. And you're diving up the inside, and people they're watching it like they're like, you know, when you're watching and you're showing someone, and they're moving back when they're watching it. <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know how close it was. And when you've got people that you know might not watch the series, you know, and you're just showing, look, just watch, this is where I was at. This is what, uh, you know, I saw. And they're like, wow. And when you get that wow factor from an overtake, you know, as a driver and as a series, like, you're doing something right. Um, but that was really interesting. But I suppose we might as well get onto it. As you said, because we had the Frines, whose race ended in disaster, Crashing into crashing into friends and Sandbird had worked his way up to sixth place on the final lap, and then I saw in the media center and I saw Bird's name going down like the hmm. and it literally the, the they crossed the line and you start seeing Bird going down. You're like, and I'm like, no, no, you, you, you see what what could have happened? Don't tell me he's the battery's just shut down. He's got some sort of drive shaft failure. Don't tell me something like that. As, as as ruined his race but then it was even worse because you saw him just parked up at Rasgas with a right rear puncher looked like some bodywork a bit mangled up and you're like what's happened? I haven't seen the pictures as well 
what well, I, I don't... heard yeah. was that he had contact with someone. Mm, I think. And no one seems to have, know. That... Yeah, it might have been Evans because he was the driver running behind him at the time. Yeah. And then exiting but the it... swimming pool, chicane, Bert just smashed into the right hand wall with a puncture, previous puncture, that meant he lost control over his car, smashed into the wall and had to retire with. I'm not sure, 350, 400 meters before the line, not much before the race, before the checkered flag flew, he had to retire his car and end the race, not in P6, but being qualified as 16th in the end, a lap down. Yeah, it was just, it was just a shame because it didn't, one, it didn't make sense and, and he wasn't even in the media pen afterwards because I spoke to the press officer and um, he he was called to the stewards for something maybe to talk about the incident that had just happened mm. but yeah. so he wasn't even he wasn't even there like um, they had to send his apologies that he wasn't there because you know he was he couldn't be in poor guy can't be in two places at the same time um, so we never actually got the insight because I was really wanted to spot the Sam I was like it was one of those things that you knew everyone at home would be asking that question, what happened to Sam Bird? And then Sam Bird's not there to answer that question. <laughs> and you're like, no, how? Everyone's at tender hooks. What happened to Sam Bird? What happened to Sam Bird? And you can't give him that answer. And then you get the press release from Virgin Racing, and sadly it doesn't really answer that question <laughs> of what happened to Sam Bird, apart from he's obviously upset about it. But I feel sorry for Sam. Like, I see him, I see him, I saw him in Paris more than I saw him in Monaco. And I had a com little tiny conversation with him. And he just, he's so, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And he's so down about, he was leading the Drivers' Championship. He looked, he looked like a driver that was favourite probably to maybe even go on and make, you know, start making headway. And then it started going wrong with the Group 1 system in qualifying. He couldn't get his head around it. And I think that, you know, that drains on a driver. When you have a bad qualifying session and you have another bad qualifying session, then getting the next good qualifying session still being in that same group of Group 1, it becomes more mentally draining. And then he dropped into Group 2 and still couldn't do it. And, you know, when he was in Group 1, he was still getting the better of Frines. But now Frines seems to have got the better of him. And I, f I feel sorry for Sam in that in that retrospect because I think he's a driver that is quick enough and deserves and is well I say deserves the world championship but or championship in Formula E's uh, perspective but he's a driver that you know every season you're in that firing line of you know he could be a title contender and for one reason or another it falls away from him and he's had so much bad luck the last four races he's not scored any points. Sanya rear-ended by Van Dorn. Rome rear-ended by Lopez. B miraculously in Rome, yeah. having his car repaired in the pits due to the red flag, that which gave Virgin enough time to fix his car. He ended the race in 11th. A fantastic drive from him. Still not enough for the points. Paris taken out of Just taken by out Ambrosio. by the and now but, once and in, the, in the wet conditions and that's the yeah. problem and that, this, to me this is where I know, I know the qualifying system always gets on you know some people like it some people um, dislike it and I mean the dislike camp of that but you know this is for me where, do we want to see championship protagonists like Sam Burr being caught out in the midfield in the wet race in Paris because of the qualifying system 
yes, you could say, well, he could do a better job in qualifying, but as everyone's, pr- and, and I think as Group 1 has proven, um, uh, you know, it's not, it is it is hard. It's not just go out there and set a lap time. Everyone has the same track. Um, and so it's, it's difficult. I know, you know, cynics could just say, well, he's not doing a good enough job in qualifying, which, you know, on paper he isn't. But it's, it seems like there's a lot more to that. And, you know, that's just maybe it's a question for another day about whether or not Formula Marie should want their, you know, Andre Lotterer second in the championship starting P20. You know, championship leader starting in P12. Like, it doesn't make sense um, to me, but I'm not going to get too much into that. I'm going to wrap up now the race result because uh, we saw John Eric Verne take his second victory. And for me, thankfully, let's just have a quick talk about this. I'm so happy that (laughs) the streak is over. I am so happy that the streak is over. Why are you? It's just, I just, it's just, I you feel like Formula E were, it just felt so forced and you wanted someone to be a repeat winner because you, it was hard, to, it was hard for us as journalists in a sense to sort of build up this championship because not knowing who is in the title fight is also really difficult to then <laughs> drum up um, a story to why, why should you watch Formula E because there's so many different winners you don't know who's going to win but it gets boring in my opinion, you know, yeah. it's like... By it now, the story was opinion. we had so many different winners. Yeah, you're right. It was getting on my nerves as well, just ever so slightly. And I think it's good to have a repeat race winner. And now that we have a repeat race winner, the hunt is on. We've seen yes. the, the streak being broken, and now the hunt for the championship is on. Jack, we still have f- only four races left this season. And the championship after eight different winners in the first eight races is just so incredibly tight and so exciting this year. And now with the first repeat race winner, we will see more names pop up on the top spot of the podium, I'm sure. Andre Lattero, second in the championship, still hasn't won a race. Pascal Wehrlein, still waiting for his first victory this year. He's currently 12th in the standings. But always a good... Is Daryl Darabout yeah. in the races as well? Absolutely, and say the price to Oliver Roland and Sebastian Buemi. They've been so close to victory this year, and Nissan is still waiting for the first top top result. And they still have four races left. Maybe it works out next time out in Berlin, maybe in Bern. Would be fantastic for Buemi to, to win his home race, of course. Yeah, anyway, yeah. but the championship is just so close together. And driver, the drivers in the championship are just so close together just because of these mixed-up race results. And now with the first repeat race winner, the hunt really is on. And John eric Verne always will have to look behind him and see where the other people are in the championship. Do you want to just quickly run down just how close it is yeah, in terms just, of points in the championship? Oh, the, the Drivers' Championship. Let me just finish. Well, before I get that, just to clarify. So we have Van winning the oh, race, yeah, followed, sure. by Oliver, <laughs> followed, by, followed by Oliver Rowland, who said in the press conference, in the driver pen to me that he didn't fancy overtaking despite having more energy he wasn't going to risk overtaking Vern because as we've said Nissan have thrown so many points away this season he's like I'm not going to throw away 18 trying to pass Vern I'll wait for a better track maybe to a cleaner or easier track maybe Berlin in two weeks time where there will be space in Berlin to overtake and then we have Felipe Massa 
getting his first podium in Formula E, that was a scene. Like, he was mobbed after the race. Um, it was a big talking point. And, you know, it shows Massa um, is moving forward and is moving the right direction because he had Verline in fourth. And they were, you know, they pulled a gap. They, they were the leading, you know, quartet, I think is the c- correct term. That's right. Um, uh, you know, the leading pack of Massa was part of that. So if you're going to be part of a ch- person that's leading for a race, even more reason why Massa should be uh, considered that he's definitely still good enough for this series. And then we had Bohemi in fifth, Evan sixth, Lotterer from P20 to P7, pretty decent result. Amazing. Alex Lynn in eighth, um, Stoffel Van Dorn ninth, and Jose Maria Lopez rounding out the top ten. Retirements were Turvey, Degrassi, Mortara, and Gunther. Freins and Bird also crashed out but were classified 16th and 17th. So then to ask your question about the Drivers' Championship, it's just loading on my screen because I was just watching the other one. <laughs> so it is incredibly close. So John Eric Verne, 87 points after eight races, after nine races now. Andre Lotterer, 86. So still a point between them. Robin Freins, he's still there. Even though he thought I was telling him in the, in the media print he wasn't a title contender when I was just saying, do you feel like you have a car to challenge for the title? Um, is on 81 and then you have Antonio Felix Costa who believes he can win this he should have won this championship and he believes he has the fastest car out there but the qualifying system is just you know letting him down every week in his opinion is in uh, fourth yep he's in fourth there's no numbers in this championship I'm looking at with 70 points Lucas Degrassi tied with him in fifth with 70 Mitch Evans 69 Drone D'Ambrogio still knocking about with 65 um, and Ollie Rowland with 59. So I would say really and truly, you could maybe say Oliver Rowland might have a chance, but you could say anyone from D'Ambrosia because of how mixed up this season is. From anyone really from D'Ambrosia upwards, so D'Ambrosia, Evans, Degrassi, DeCosta, Freund, Lotter and Verne are probably your main championship protagonists hmm. now. Mathematically um, speaking, I don't see... Mathematically, anyone could win. Ma- mathematically didn't. speaking... Anyone could win, but yeah. I think it's. I don't feel like Pascal Vaughn. I know episode two of this Formula Reason podcast, we were saying, Yeah, you know what? He's quick, isn't he? He's a good lad. <laughs> and he's had three, he's had, you know, no, like, how many races? He's have really not scored any points, not classified in Hong Kong. Six, one point in Rome, one point in Paris, and he's on 51 points. You know, I I just feel with eighty seven of with Vern, I just feel like that's even with a two wins, it's supposed to two wins and Vern. But then there's other people who will pick up points. Like it's it's gonna be difficult for people like Verline, Bawemi, Mortara, Bird, Apt, I would say, to Dillman. to challenge to challenge for the title. Um, yeah. Yeah, of it's course, gonna be Yeah, I'm I'm saying anyone could win the championship. Of course we have favourite te- oh yeah, the favourite teams in air quotes, of course. Not our favourite teams, but teams in favourable positions. Yeah. And I mean mathematically Tom Dillman could still end up being the champion of, of, of this season. The two of us we well, could what? start up a new team, <laughs> <I> <laughs> we could and do. still win the championship. How about yeah, that? We, we could we yeah, could brawn GP it. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> with four races to go this season, we okay. could still end up the champion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, talks with Formula E are ongoing. Our <laughs> entrance into Berlin. 
early um, discussion. We'll keep, we'll keep, we'll keep you posted. Okay, we're breaking news on Formula E's own and E Formula D for partnership. <laughs> um, but the teams championship and sort of into a talking point I want to do on before because we'll, we'll need to wrap up soon. But another talking point I want to do. So Tech Cheetah Dan, 173 points leading the championship now, and Envision Virgin Racing second with 135. Now I feel like we've criticised this qualifying system, and I have criticised this qualifying system. But are we now seeing? The drivers, the best drivers, or the drivers that should be winning the championship, or starting to come to the top, like we've got now with Vernon Lotterer, like the two Tech Cheetah cars who we thought were quickest before, you know, them and BMW. Obviously, after Adiria, we thought Tech Cheetah were um, were amazingly quick, even though they didn't win that race um, with the drive-through penalties that they got. You know, are the best teams now starting to emerge? Oh, difficult to say. Um, in my view, Diaz Techita is the quickest team. So from that, that coming from that uh, that point, yes, the quickest team is emerging. But we still have Nissan in fifth in the championship, BMW in P six in the championship, which is crazy. Which is crazy, it. yeah. They should should be a long way up the order. That said, if they were more up the order, other teams would drop and have to drop. Virgin currently second, Audi fourth, Mahindra uh, Audi third, pardon, and uh, Mahindra fourth. They deserve to be there as well. It's a really tough question. Someone has to be fifth in that lineup. And yeah. I'm not sure if Nissan, do, at the moment, are the team to be fifth. In my opinion, Nissan could is one of the top three teams. BMW certainly still has potential for another race win, which will move them up as well in the order. So yes, the quickest team, singular, is emerging. Diaz Cheetah, in my eyes, is the quickest team this season. But the quickest teams, plural, I'm still struggling with that. Because Virgin, Audi, Mahindra, Nissan, BMW, hell, even Venturi and Jaguar, they... Yeah, 84 points of Venturi and Jaguar, 74. Yeah, I mean, they are level. In some races, they are level on performance. And it's really difficult to say, at this stage of the season, who's quickest. It's crazy to say at this stage of the season. Man, yeah. we're still we're only four races away from from the final race, or three races away from the final race of this year. But it's still too early to call who is the second strongest force in FE and the third and the fourth yeah. and the fifth. The first strongest, which has been the talking yeah, point, the strongest force. We can talk about yes, Tachita. As I said, in my opinion, Tachita is the best team this year. Um, or have proven, not proven, but to have the best car. Yeah, maybe. Now that I think about it, do they have the best car? One of the best. Cars, <laughs> this is oh, the this man. is the debate. I should think we could have I a whole speak, podcast on who is the fastest team. To be honest with you, and we've taken, yeah. you know, it's crazy when it's you think crazy, about it. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is, Diaz the cheater at this point are the quickest team, and deservedly so. They are in P1 in the team's championship. And it's all up for grabs behind them because all the teams behind them, with the exception of maybe HWA, Dragon and Neo, can be on a good day 
on the same level of performance. Lovely. Right, before we go, before we do Drive of the Day, we've got to answer one more question. We'll try and keep this one a bit quick. So, <laughs> energy management. Okay, so drivers sort of say in energy management, we saw energy management play a factor towards the end. Roland had more percentage, 3%, Vern finished on that one. Um, and people talk about energy management overtaking, that sort of allowed it, and we sort of didn't touch on it. But it, it's sort of interesting talking uh, at the end of the race, Bawemi was talking about that, you know, we should have more races like Monaco and Marrakesh where energy management was a factor. And that 45 minutes, you know, isn't long enough. Uh, for a Formula E race and maybe we should go back to a lap system um, because if we want energy management to play a role in Formula E races you need to have longer races and in in terms of to make it more of a factor so what do you think should Formula E maybe be thinking about going back to a lap system or should we be looking to maybe extend the race maybe by five minutes or maybe hit an hour race plus a lap? What do you think? Oh, that's a good question. I've always been a fan of laps and not the biggest advocate for timed races. It seems... Timed races just... <laughs> it's the equivalent of the Monaco circuit, to be honest. Timed races see make Formula look a bit immature. It's gives the impression that for a... I'm not sure if it gives the impression that Formula isn't a top-tier championship. Just the fact that we have timed races. The thing is, I've never been the biggest fan of timed races. And I'd like to go back to, to laps simply because of the fact... And the things have improved, but in the first half of, of this season, We've often seen red flags being called, or safety cars, or four-course yellows, and that meant the clock was ticking, but the drivers weren't using any energy, and um, so it makes it an easy, an easy energy management race. Everyone yeah, can go flat to the flag. Flat out no, no, to the flag. no fuel, no fuel worries if you were to convert it to a normal yeah, um, racing that right. championship that's not Formula E. And it becomes so much harder to overtake. Whereas we only had a very short four-course yellow period. Um, in 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 Monaco, so we didn't really have too much of an energy management saving, but we still had it. Imagine we didn't have that full course yellow. How close, you know, would Massa might have not made the race? You know, Verne might have not made the race. So, and that's what Boemi was saying. It's like, you know, forty-five minutes. You know, maybe it's tough here, but in in the, in in Rome or not Rome, Paris, for example, it said it's too easy. We could do a forty-five minute race basically flat because we're not going to run out of energy. Be um, so that's why he was sort of campaigning for the lap system and maybe extending the races to make, you know, teams focus really on that energy management system in terms of the powertrain and and showing that the best team that has the best powertrain in terms of energy management then sort of comes to the top rather than someone who has the quickest car. Because you might have the quickest car, but if you use the most energy, then great having the quickest car if you're not going to make the race and you can't use that speed, then there's no point. Um... So yeah, so I think honestly, I would like to see longer races. I feel like forty-five minutes goes past really quickly. Um, I feel like an hour is probably. I wouldn't go. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, you know, comparing it to like Formula One, it's really awful to do. But Formula One's an hour and a half, and sometimes, you know, with Formula One being the current situation that it is, you feel like an hour and a half is too long um, for a race. So I think an hour probably would be 
the perfect length because you can have some sort of interesting race and it's not it doesn't take too long it's not dragging out if that makes sense because i think sometimes when you watch races that you know and as i suppose maybe like i'm a massive fan of the the WEC series but um some people don't like the WEC series because it takes six hours for the race to be completed um and it's too long so it drags out and you have to like commit to watching it or like jumping in and out of it so it's hard to build up that fan base i'm the complete opposite i just love it to pieces but i i understand where people are coming from in that sort of sense that they can't watch a really long race so i feel like don't go too long with it but because the problem is is formula e will the energy management and energy efficiency will get better every season so sooner or later 45 minutes will become easy for even um, 45 minutes will be easier I'm not sure if yeah. an hour is maybe too long for now. We will see one hour. Certainly have the possibility of seeing races lasting one hour in the near future. I'm sure of it. Not sure if one hour is, would be too long as of today. But yeah, it might be too long as of today. I'm not saying today. Yeah. But I was just I was throwing that time out there to see if drivers would then say to me. That's too long at this point. Hmm. But they weren't, actually. That was hmm. the interesting thing. They that's weren't. They weren't telling me that's too long. Yeah? De Costa was like, yeah, 50 minutes an hour. You know, it's doable. You know, just just make it happen. You know? And then it just... It focuses... It focuses the engineers more on what they would have to do. Because if they could build a car that... 45 minutes... Okay, yeah, we've just got... We just need to improve that bit much. And then we, we should be fine for 45 minutes. And then they can just go you know build the fastest car in a sense but if they have a longer race time then and really and truly it's not about building the fastest electric car at this precise moment we can anyone can build a fast electric car it's been done but it's about building an electric car at the moment that can run for longer than a petrol engine so really and truly it should the Formula E races should be determined on efficiency rather than speed if in, in my honest opinion but would you agree or do you disagree before I move on I would agree. Perfect. Right. Driver of the day. Dan's favourite bit, but he's not here. Poor Dan. Hmm. But we must sol- we must soldier on and do it for him, because otherwise he will be messaging us and telling us that we're not doing the podcast <laughs> properly. Um, so this is for you, Dan. Just Tobias, you. driver of the day, who do you give it to? Hmm. I give my driver of the day award to hmm. oh god um <laughs> it's so it's so difficult this is why we hate dan it's a shame we can't we uh, can't really hate him we can he's not here we can still hate dan <laughs> i think i'll say my drive of the day was van and for one reason he was he did a spectacular job in terms of managing the gap to the drivers behind him. Looking at the timing screen, the distance between him and the trio following him always changed. And in some parts of the race, they were closer to him. In some parts of the race, he moved away from him. But he did a fantastic job of just bringing the car home on one side, on one hand, and on the other hand, managing the gap, dictating the pace, and he drove, in my opinion, a very clever race. He's a smart guy, and he's proven that once more in Monaco. And that's why I think I'm going to give him 
my drive of the day. For me, it's Sandbird. There was, there was just he he put to bed the myth you can't overtake a Monaco. In my opinion, he put hmm. that myth to bed, and he said, "Hold on, I am Sandbird, the one and only." And the the overtakes that he did were fantastic. Even uh, Robin Franz's overtake also into the back was amazing. But you know, Birdie was able to pull off move after move after move, and we don't know how his race came to an end. Sadly. Um, and we may never know, he may never tell us but um, we might do in Berlin so maybe you can ask for me Tobias but um, <laughs> yeah, he was just he was just fantastic it was a, sh- a massive disappointment that he didn't finish but to, to do what he did during that race and to still have energy at the same point um, was miraculous so I think, I think we'll end it here um, thank you so much Tobias for coming on obviously pleasure as you always Oh no, thank you for having me. It's always great fun being on these podcasts and I really, oh. really enjoy the time with you. It's good, it's good fun. Right, please remember, um, pop the, I'm going to do the, I feel bad because we never normally do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to sell out to the normal YouTube um, thing. So make sure you give us a like, smash that like button, <laughs> as PewDiePie says. <laughs> <laughs> smash that like button. Um, we're not. We're on ninety-three subscribers. When we started this podcast, we were on. And now I know there's. I know we have a good audience on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and we really appreciate. And are, we, it's good to see that we're growing on those podcast platforms as well. But on YouTube, where this also goes out, um, we started off having about thirty-three subscribers. We're now on ninety-three. Okay, we're seven away from hundred. So smash that subscriber button. Yeah, let's get to hundred. <laughs> we. I feel like. Come on. You know, with, well, you could disagree, viewers, if you think maybe no one's listening to this point because we've got to the the you know no one's listening because we're we're rubbish. But subscribe, and um, we have a Patreon if you are so inclined. Like we uh, we do have a Patreon page. It is linked into the description. But we're we're not asking anyone to like donate to it. It's only if you feel like you you, you love us. There's no real prize for donating. There's no real extra features apart from you know paying for Tobias to have some food or whatever it is. No, I think it's um yeah and Dan no, I think it's Dan to get food, me to get a watch. And Dan, Tobias, he, he needs to go back to Sweden and go back on holiday. So um it's just it's just to pay for that really. Um <laughs> for so my if holiday. Wanna, if, Yeah, for your holidays. Yeah. That's that's what it's for. That's what it says. If you're on the Patreon page that's what it says. It's just fun. It's just a little bit of fun if you want to do Patreon. But um we really appreciate all your listens, all your feedback that we get, all the comments that we get. Um, via social media and on YouTube we really appreciate it so thank you so much for listening and we will see you after the Berlin Epre bye home race see you after Berlin (laughs) bye bye bye